I'm excited about the sermon series that we are in here at City, entitled Back to the Basics. Last week began the series where there was a challenge to exit one decade and move into new one while leaving some things behind, and we talked about that. It was very powerful to see hundreds of people come forward with a little index card that they'd been given, and they wrote down some things that prayerfully they would lay on this front stage. We actually called it an altar for that period of time to where people would come forward and they would lay their piece of paper there folded so that no one could read it, Um, and they left. There were hundreds of them across the front here. And uh, just so you know, we collected those. No one read any of them. We collected them. And then as a staff, we actually burned them because we felt like it was a sacred moment and we felt like you entrusted that to our care. And so we made a little fire and we burned them and we prayed for every person that felt the compulsion of the Holy Spirit to come forward and to write something on a card and leave it here at the altar. Now what I can tell you is, there's a huge difference between what we did spiritually and a New Year's resolution. Huge difference. Here's why, uh, if you were to look up New Year's resolutions, you would discover that the vast majority of New Year's resolutions, there was a company that went online and they studied 35.1 million people with New Year's resolutions And guess how far into January last year, New Year's resolutions survived? January 12th. Today's the day. (laughs) How many of you have not made it to today, just before God and man, New Year's resolution gone by the way? No, literally, it's January 12th. And so the vast majority of people had posted or somehow signaled the fact that their New Year's resolution was dead and gone. Now, if you're one of those people and you're heavy of heart because you didn't make it past January the 12th, the good news is you will be able to cheer for the Green Bay Packers as they beat the Seattle Seahawks tonight. Actually, I affectionately call them Sea Crows, but um, as the Green Bay Packers beat them. Now, listen. The purpose for this sermon and the title of this sermon is Back to Basics, The Secret Life. It's entitled The Secret Life. And the reason why I'm going to preach on this is because, again, as I've already said, there's a huge difference between New Year's resolutions and then spiritual encounters with God that empower us to live lives very differently than we can in our own strength. Jesus actually has a lot to say about the secret life. And so what I want to do is bring this sermon to help us to move into this new year, more specifically the new decade, and doing it in such a way to where we will exit this decade, seeing God do things in our lives that we almost could have never imagined. I want to begin by reading, and as a biblically-based church, we always read from Scripture, But I want to begin by reading more text than I normally read, but Jesus is speaking here. He's giving the longest monologue he's ever given, and we're just going to read a chunk of this from Matthew chapter 6, 
verses 1 through 18. Fair warning, we're going to jump, we're going to skip some verses in the middle. But I want to read what Jesus says about the secret life. Here's his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But you, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your, father's, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then he goes on to prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your dorm room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, but your Father knows what you have need before you ask him. Now we're skipping some verses and jumping down to verse 16. When you fast, do not be somber as the hypocrites do. Or do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put cologne on, shampoo your hair, brush your teeth, put on makeup so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, Jesus is moving his disciples and anyone that would listen that is a follower of his. He is moving us towards a secret life. Now what's fascinating though is if you were to read in scripture the vast majority that the Bible says about a secret life isn't positive. Ephesians 5.12 says this, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. They have a secret life. Don't even mention it. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually warns about a secret life. Luke 12, 1 through 3, Jesus began to speak to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms, that could be secret place, will be proclaimed from the rooftops. So in other words, there's all these warnings about secret life. Now, the question has to be, 
<clears throat> why does the Bible warn us about that type of a secret life? Well, here's why. There's nothing more exhausting. There's nothing more self-defeating. There's nothing more confusing than to live a private life that is bifurcated from what we know is God's best for us. It is so exhausting. It's so confusing. It's where we're kind of living outwardly one way, but in the secret room of our heart and of our life, we are living in such a way to where we are praying and hoping God doesn't see. God says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't live that way. The reason why I'm so familiar with this is there have been points in my life where I've done that. Where I have lived in a way that's outside of God's best. I know how confusing and absolutely exhausting that can be. But I think God has a better way for us than that. Now if we were to look in the text, not only is that a little bit confusing, that Jesus is all of a sudden calling us to a secret life when he seems to warn us more about it than not, he also begins to talk about our good deeds. Just a chapter earlier in Matthew chapter 5, here's what Jesus says in verses 14 through 16. He writes, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It almost seems as though Jesus is contradicting himself. He begins by saying in Matthew 5, which is in the same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, do your good deeds before people so that they may see them and then give glory to God in heaven. And yet we read earlier where he's telling you, don't do works in front of people just to be seen by them. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, Notice in the Matthew 5, 14 through 16, here's what Jesus says. Let your light shine. Live your life differently. Do deeds that speak of the fact that you have a heavenly father. And when people see you do them, they're going to give glory to God in heaven. That fascinates me. So how does that work? Here's what I've come to understand about what Jesus is teaching. When you do good works because God is empowering you to, the do, to do them and you feel called to do them, here's what you're going to experience. People will look at you and say, there's no way that guy could do that. There's no way that girl could do that or sustain doing that. And at some point there's a recognition that you're not as awesome as you think you are or they thought you were. And they begin to scratch their head and say, there must be God in this person's life. There's something different about them. What they do and how they do what they do is an issue that will lead them to understand that God is in your life. So Jesus is clear here. He's telling us that these good deeds are going to bring glory to God. So why does it seem like there's this conflict? 
Because in Matthew 6, three times Jesus says, get alone with God. And when you get alone with God, keep it between you and him. Have a secret life. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Refreshing our memories because I just read it. Here's what Jesus says. Be careful. Be so careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I want you to notice Jesus says this, be careful. Why? All of us are prone to this. All of us. Even when we do the most godly of things, there's something in us that will say in our flesh, I hope someone sees it and notices me. Jesus said, be careful. That phrase that we just read, to be seen by them, is one Greek word from which we get the English word theater. Theater. It's about a performance. It's about doing something just so other people can see us do it. You would also notice that three times when I read at the very beginning from Matthew chapter 6, you would notice three times Jesus used the word hypocrite. Now what we need to understand in Jesus' day, hypocrite simply meant an actor. An actor. A hypocrite was someone who played the part of someone else. In ancient theater, one actor could come out and put on a mask, literally hold the mask in front of their face. One skilled actor could play up to five different people in one play by simply holding a mask over their face. You see, a hypocrite is simply an actor, someone who plays the part of someone other than who they truly are. So what's amazing is with the secret life, Jesus begins to teach us that a secret life with God, where you get alone with God, is the thing that defeats us from being a people who want to be seen by others to feed the flesh. And spending time alone with God is the thing that dissolves the actor or the actress out of us. It's the thing that does it the best. Listen, it's no surprise that Jesus is referencing these theatrical terms. The reason why is there's a huge Roman theater that's not far from where Jesus was born and raised, in which no doubt his father worked. You see, Jesus' dad, Joseph, was a technon, which is a technical term for a stonemason, not a carpenter. There was no wood near where Jesus lived and was raised but there were stonemasons everywhere. As a matter of fact, a lot of biblical scholars believe there's a huge chance that Jesus, next to his dad, worked on this Roman theater with his father. They worked shoulder to shoulder building this theater. Jesus was very familiar with this kind of a life where people act a part that they are not. So when we look at this, how does it touch our hearts? I have a question for you. We live in a culture where almost everything now is on public display. 
There are people that will post on Facebook what they ate for breakfast, what they're thinking about eating for lunch, what they avoided eating for dinner. We live in a culture now where everything is public. If you do something, you tweet about it. If you're on, on Facebook, you post about it. Almost everything that we do anymore is now for public consumption. The problem is, this is how so many of us get our identities. We post something. If we get enough likes, then we feel good about ourselves. And if we don't, we wonder what's wrong with all these people who didn't look at my post. The reality of it is, Jesus calls you and he calls me to have a secret life. A life with God where we don't post about it, we don't tweet about it, we just live behind a closed door each day for a period of time with God through Jesus. And I believe that that is where the deepest transformation of our lives will take place. Now, can I go back to posting things? I am safely assuming that when you are a follower of Jesus and you publicly declare to be a follower of Jesus, that what you post is always a reflection of the fact that you follow Jesus. That whatever you say or however you respond to anything in the public sphere, it's done with humility, with love, with kindness, with grace, and with mercy. I'm assuming that that's true. Now since it's quiet, let's move deeper into the sermon. How do you put feet to your faith with the text that we've read? I unashamedly want to say this. My prayer for you and for me is that every single one of us will have a secret life with God. I want that for you. Now here's why. The only thing I know that can shorten the gap between if you've been living secretly and then publicly different, as I was talking about the tension of that, you felt like maybe I'd been reading your mail. The only thing I know that will shorten that gap and bring alignment in your life so that sideways energy spiritually and emotionally comes in one direction as a follower of Jesus, the only thing I know that will keep us in that place where we are living the full Christian life is when we have a secret life with God. It's the only thing I know. The only thing. Now what's amazing though is when Jesus talks about the secret life, he mentions three things. He mentions giving, he mentions prayer, and he mentions fasting. I have honestly sat on these scriptures for some time and studied them and looked at them and prayed over them. You see, the way Jesus reports them, he assumes you're doing them. When you pray, when you fast, when you give, not if, but when. I think for some of us, though, we're not quite up to speed yet on where God wants us to be in one, two, or three of these areas of our life. My challenge to you 
as we step into the new decade, you would look at your spiritual life, you would look at your giving, you would look at your praying, and you would look at your fasting and say, if Jesus did all three and calls me to do it, this year will be a year where I'm going to step into that. But notice that Jesus references all three of these as part of the secret life. Here's why. I believe that giving has to do with money, which has to do with your heart. I believe that prayer has to do with words, which involves your mind. I believe that fasting has to do with food, which involves your body. So what Jesus does when he speaks of the secret life, he's talking about our heart, he's talking about our mind, and he's talking about our bodies. In other words, Jesus is talking about everything that we are. So as I look at this text, I discover that when Jesus speaks about money, he speaks in Matthew 6, 19 through 23, and I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And the last sentence is the clincher where Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, for Jesus, money is always a heart issue. It's about the heart. Jesus says, when you give, never give so that you can be seen by other people. Give in secret to where you don't even understand. I don't really get all this. I researched it. There's a lot of different opinions. But where your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. The idea here is, is that between your left hand and your right hand sits your heart. Your heart is in the middle. So the question is, what does your giving look like? Does it reflect Jesus or does it reflect Charlottesville? Which is it? Next, Jesus talks about praying. He moves right from money and giving to praying. Where Jesus says this, when you pray, go in your dorm room, close the door, and pray in secret. Now what we need to understand though is in the ancient Jewish world, prayer was something you did by reading scripture and literally praying scripture. Jesus did it where he would take psalms and he would pray them back to God. So for the Jewish mind, when you were in prayer, you're also incorporating scripture into that time. I want to encourage you that as we step into this new decade and we talk about having a secret time with God, I want to encourage you, go onto the YouVersion Bible app. Find a year through the Bible scripture reading. Do the best that you can to read through scripture. I have found that this is the best way to do it for me. I get up in the morning, I try to read scripture, at times I don't have the time, but the app that I have flags me about midday and says, Pete, you heathen, you have not read scripture yet, how dare you? But here's what I've noticed. 
I've noticed something in Scripture, about Scripture. It's this, that more often than not, the Bible speaks about meditating on Scripture. You see, when I read through the Bible through the year, and I'm up to speed on that so far this year, but when I read through the Bible through the year, it's going to help me to understand the breadth of God, the entire story from Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. But you know, when you meditate, you begin to understand the depth of God, and there's a difference. Scripture speaks so often about people meditating on the text, meditating on Scripture, allowing it to actually impact our hearts and our souls. Listen, let me be clear. I love Sunday mornings. I love the life groups that Pastor Keith leads for us. They're so absolutely essential. But if the only time we're ever looking at Scripture or praying, if the only time we're ever doing that is on Sunday morning where you hear this sermon, as awesome as this sermon is, if the only time you're ever reading Scripture is what comes up on these screens or with your life group, if the only time you're doing that, I want to challenge you. Get into a daily time of a secret place with God. Reading Scripture and then meditating on it will transform your heart and transform your life. There's a text that came to mind that the Apostle Paul wrote. I believe that he's talking about the secret life here. And it's found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's you and me, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Let me say this again. I know of no other way to live the Christian life, to be a follower of Jesus, than to spend time alone with God where I'm in his word and his word in the presence of Jesus is transforming and renewing my mind. You see, Paul writes a warning here. It's an encouragement, but it's a warning. Because you see, the word conform in the Greek speaks of pressure from the outside. He says, do not conform to this world, but instead be transformed. The Greek word transformation here is metamorphosis. It's literally that word. It means that there's a change that happens internally that literally revolutionizes everything externally in our lives. You see, if we live in a culture that's all about people looking at me and me performing and me being on stage, me being a hypocrite where I'm changing masks five times a day and how exhausting that is. Paul says that's conforming to the world. That's outside pressure. The thing that transforms us is the metamorphosis that happens when I spend time in prayer with God, when there's an alignment between my private heart in my private world, and the life that God is calling me 
to live. Where I began was this. There's a difference between a resolution and transformation. A huge one. Resolutions don't make it till January the 12th. Life transformation lasts a lifetime. There's a big difference. What I'm going to do, by the way, is I'm going to send out an email tomorrow morning that will show you the tools that I use in my own private time. I want you to have them. I want you to have the tools that I use in my secret place. Because I think for some of us, as we step into this new decade, you're really not sure how to move into this. So I'm going to send out that email with links to resources that I use. The last thing Jesus mentions is fasting. He says, and when you fast, brush your teeth, put on cologne, and wash your hair. Hopefully you do that anyway. But the idea here is, is that fasting in the mind of Jesus is something that we will do as we follow him. That at times we will face things in ourselves. That fasting will break that in us as we say no to these physical bodies and yes to the spiritual reality of Jesus in our lives. In that email, I'm going to include some links on fasting to encourage you and to help you to understand it better. But what I can tell you at the outset, that word fast literally means, in the Greek, nes tuo, which means this. Ne means don't or the negative. Estheo means to eat. Fasting literally means don't eat. It's where we say no to these physical bodies and yes to the spiritual realities of Christ. I want to encourage you, along with the leadership of City, to fast one day a week. Maybe from sunup to sundown. Many of us fast that way. The good news is, is the days right now are relatively short. So if you start now and build the spiritual discipline now, you can become a person that fasts from sunup until sundown, until the longest day of the year hits, you will be in good practice by then. But here's what I want to say. I have watched fasting transform so many things, including my own heart and my own life. Here's what I believe. I believe if everyone at City would begin to lovingly commit before God that you're going to have a secret place, a secret life that's just between you and God. And it's the place where you go and metamorphosis happens. It's where the word of God becomes alive in you and you find that there's true transformation in your heart and in your life. Jesus speaks of the secret place touching everything that we are. Our money, which is our heart. Our praying, which involves words, which is mind. And fasting food, which is our body. I believe Jesus is calling us into this because he knows that when we have a secret place and a secret life in Jesus, that it will transform everything there is about us. As we close out our time, we're going to sing the worship song, Lord, I Need You. And I know that we do. I know I do, and I trust you do as well.
So as the worship team comes out, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. Let's stand together. As we begin to sing this song that Stephen's going to lead us in, Lord, I need you. If you sense when I was talking about living your life for public affirmation, that you know that you've been caught up in that, that your identity is now sourced and resourced from what other people think and what other people say and you feel like your life has just become one long performance. As we sing this worship song, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. I want you to pray and ask God to touch you in that area. Maybe it's the area of finances. God has been convicting you about giving and you just haven't done it. I want you to pray and ask God as we sing this that you would say, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you, my heart needs you. For others of us, maybe you're more Charlottesvillian than you are Christian, and you know it. The culture has been pressing you into its mold. You're being conformed instead of transformed. As we sing this worship song, Lord, I need you. I'm going to ask you to open up your heart to God. And I believe that as you truly press into him, He'll transform your heart and he'll transform your life.